Okay, this is uh, session three in the book of Job. Uh, we're looking at redemption found this morning. Believers can trust God to be faithful to them. We'll be in chapter 19, verses 19 through 29. Um, so we're, we're making another large jump. Again, we've talked about how much of the book of Job is dialogue between Job and the friends and all that. We're not going to read all the dialogue. We'll sum it up as we go through the lessons. Um, so in chapter 15, Eliphaz, uh, the eldest friend, we talked about him last week and who he was and, and all that. He gives his second speech. And then chapter 16 and 17 is Job's reply to him. He becomes more, he was trying to be nice in the first speech that he gave about, you know, Job, maybe you sinned, and you know, he's trying to, trying to draw him out with kindness and all that. The second speech, Eliphaz is more matter of fact. Look, dude, you, you've messed up somewhere. You, you've made God your enemy and, and the like. And we're going to see um, Job's reply to this in a minute. Chapter 18 is Bildad's second speech, and so he's going to lay into him, um, and he's going to be just blunt. Um, and then finally we come to chapter 19, and this is where we see uh, Job's reply to all of this, and that's where we're going to pick up, is um, what's going on, um, what Job believes, uh, and it, I think it's interesting as we get into this. Um, the idea of redemption is going to be here, and we're going to talk about that and understand um, just what's going on. So let's jump in. We'll start with, there we go, uh, chapter 19, verses 19 through 22. Somebody will read those nice and loud. All my intimate friends abhor me, and those whom I've loved have turned against me. My bones stick to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me, have mercy on me. O you, my friends, for the hand of God has touched me. Why do you, like God, pursue me? Why are you not satisfied with my flesh? Okay, so let's remember Job has lost everything, all his money, his property, his children. Everything that the ancient world considered valuable has been taken away. And then, to add insult to injury, his health. Now, not in the sense that he was sick, but more that he was in a lot of agony with boils covering his body. And the like, remember, he is sitting in ashes and scraping his body with pottery shards uh, to break open those blisters that are incredibly painful. So he's, uh, he's miserable. I mean, I cannot imagine being miserable enough to sit in a loincloth in a pile of soot and scrape boils off my body with broken plates. Um, that's where he's at. And his friends come and they bring, make these speeches uh, about how terrible a person 
Job is, that Job you are sinning, you brought this on yourself. Eliphaz accuses Job of being nothing but a windbag in chapter 15, verses 1 to 6. So here's your close friends. These are his close, intimate friends, the people who know Job. He is in the most miserable place that somebody could probably be in. And your friend comes and you're expecting comfort and uh, compassion. This is Job's response. Look at what he says. All my intimate friends abhor me. These are, these are the clues. I mean, he doesn't have relatives. Remember, his wife's still alive. That's the only right. thing he's got left. Those who love me have turned against me. Um, yeah. He's not doing well. Eliphaz continues to go after him in, in chapter 15, verses 7 through 13, telling him that he is ignoring the wisdom of their age. Don't you know you should be living in a certain way? You should be doing certain things in order for this not to happen? I mean, look at yourself, Job. If you just would have listened and done what the government told you. No. Really, that, 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 that's what it is. In this case, the you know you know how God is. If you don't, if you're not righteous, He makes you miserable, and you're miserable. So obviously, you're not being righteous. That that was the age of the wisdom, the wisdom of the age. We're seeing this today, aren't we? The wisdom of this age, and people are like, well, see if you would have just gotten the vaccine, you would have been fine, and all. That. I mean, that, that that's what's going on. But we know that's not true because. The government and the science isn't what's in charge, is it? And how many people have gotten the vaccine and still gotten sick? Yes, and, how, and people still die anyway. Mm -hmm. Because the wisdom of the age is not what God, it has no bearing on God uh, whatsoever. So Eliphaz goes on to accuse the Job of ignoring his sinfulness in chapter 15, 14 through 16. And so this is this is his friend. This is his close intimate. So this is uh, the falling of friends or failing of friends. Um, we're in uh, the outline of Job. This is part three of Job. It's the second round of discourses and his friends are failing at being friends. With friends like this, who needs enemies? Right? I was gonna say that must've came from yeah. this story. Yeah, well, yeah, really. I'm scanning my teeth. <laughs> uh, the, his friend's failure to show compassion is what we're seeing here. Job is, is saying that, you know, that I'm not just miserable physically. I'm not just miserable emotionally. I've lost my children. I've lost my servants. But now my friends are attacking me. Eliphaz is going to argue for the idea that wicked men don't prosper. That's what Job says. Job says it, that, you know, the wicked do prosper. God allows them to do well. And Eliphaz says, no, that's not true. Um, and there's this whole argument um, in chapter 15, 17 through 35. And Eliphaz is arguing that uh, wicked people experience pain, 
the threat of calamity, anguish, premature death. Job, this is the group you're in. This is where you're at. It's because you're wicked men. Wicked men don't prosper. And, you know, there's there are a lot of groups out there that still the whole prosperity gospel thing. If you live the right way, God's going to bless. If you're not being blessed, it's because you've got secret sin in your life. And, you know, they, there, there are a lot of groups out there. Um, it comes down to this. His friends offer no comfort. I mean, here's a guy, if there was ever a guy who needed comfort, needed comfort, had to have it, is Job. I mean, it's just one thing after another. As we read back in, when we started this book, the guy doesn't even finish telling him the disaster, and the next guy shows up. So it's not like this happened over the course of a lifetime, the course of a week. This happened in the course of moments that everything befalls him. So then Bildad shows up in chapter 18. And Bildad paints the fate of the wicked Job as being consumed by the firstborn of death. <laughs> this is Bildad. You're going to be consumed by the firstborn of death. The Grim Reaper is standing there and he's coming for you, Job. Um... And it's this whole long speech in chapter 18, verses 5 to 21. And essentially, Bildad is just attacking Job. They're wanting him to admit, what have you done wrong? What sin is so bad that you won't tell us and beg forgiveness? <laughs> um, just confess. And uh, Job's like, I haven't done anything wrong. Now, my take from the text is that these guys were faithful, but Job was righteous um, of, of the group that he was truly righteous and truly believed in, in all that. I mean, these guys were believers, but not to the level that Job was. And, and now Job is on the outs, it seems, with God, and so they are just coming after him. See, you're not as righteous. It was all pretend. It was make-believe. You ever know, you ever see that happen in a church where the one of the pillars of the church has disaster happen and they're, they're like, yeah, God's after you for something. It was all fake. Yeah, they, they, they go after them. Disaster rides on your coattails. And Job is, Job is, you know, why, why are you doing this to me? Why are you chasing me down like God is pursuing me? God can do it because he's God. I mean, I, I don't owe, he doesn't owe me anything. I don't owe him anything. But you guys are my friends. I mean, if you don't want to be with me, go home, you know, kind of thing. And so that's where, that's where Job is. It's not, it's not going well. His friends blame the whole thing on him, which we know, because God has told us, what transpired. It's easy to become like Job's friends when we're looking at somebody and forget that this all started as a challenge between God and Satan. It has absolutely nothing to do Job, with Job. He's done nothing wrong. He's not done anything to earn or be treated, mistreated in such a manner. It wasn't any of his doing. It is a war between God and Satan. 
and Job is suffering. He is simply collateral damage, to use the uh, modern day term. Job is collateral damage in this. <coughs> Comments or questions? I don't know, I can just picture Job like in the ashes with Greg and Zena and just people like attacking you. Just like leave me alone. How much how much lower can I get? You know? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's it. Alright, let's move on. Chapter 19, 23 uh, through 27. Oh that my words were written. Oh that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead that they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been, has thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. This is probably the single most amazing passage in all of Scripture. It's a passage that I think we overlook and take for granted because of our context and not Job's context. We're going to camp here for a bit, so you can just hang on to that. Living Redeemer. Now let's uh, review, if we will. Job. When did we say this Job lived? Not when the book was written, because we're not sure of that. But based on what we know of the story, and having looked at the timelines, when do we suppose that Job lived? Sometime after the Tower of Babel to the beginning of the patriarchs. After Noah, like first right. generation after Noah. Yeah, he's in maybe the first, second, you know, the, the few generations after Noah. The Tower of Babel has transpired. Maybe he was there. He might have lived through it. It's sometime in that early, man, we're talking 3,000 years, 4,000 years, somewhere in there. It was way back before the patriarchs, right? Yeah. Before Abraham. And all that transpires with him in the book of Genesis, likely Job lived, and he and he writes this phrase. Job is early, before the idea of a Messiah, right? Because the only thing, if we go back, there, there's no mention of Messiah, the Messiah coming in at the Tower of Babel in that story in Genesis. No mention of it in the story of Noah. We get a vague, exceedingly vague idea of a Redeemer, of a Messiah, of somebody coming in Genesis chapter 3, verse 23, where, where God is conversing with the woman and the serpent and tells it, the serpent, that she's going to have offspring and they're going to crush his head and he's going to bite his heel. I mean, we know that's an allusion to Christ. Jesus himself makes the connection for us. 
but that's the, that, that's the only place that we get any idea of somebody coming and redeeming mankind of any sort. And Job says in verse 25, I know my Redeemer lives. He's indicating in this that his Redeemer is God. That God is going to redeem him. This is a guy who is intimately and knows the stories of the flood and the Tower of Babel in which God creates disaster. The wisdom of the age is that if you don't live a righteous life, God punishes you, which given the two previous mass events, I mean, these are global, worldwide events, that wisdom seems pretty sound, but somehow, some way, Job has this idea that God is his redeemer, that he will be redeemed. And as we look at this passage, we see Job wants his testimony recorded. Why? It was true. Well, it was. It was true. But why does he want it recorded? For people to learn from his experience. That's a that, that's yeah. That's a good idea. That's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> not what I'm looking for. What is his hope by having it inscribed for the age? I guess when you say my Redeemer lives is a good reason because he wants people to know that there is a Redeemer. Mm -hmm. I don't think he cares that anybody knows. Um, to restore his name. To restore vindication. He wants to be vindicated because remember, his friend, this is his response to his friends who are attacking him. You're evil, Job. Bill Dad's like, you're really evil, dude. You're just, you, you deserve death. Oh. Um, and he's like, oh, that my words were written and inscribed in a book. Oh, that an iron pen, a chisel, writes them on stone and that they would fill it in with lead. They would heat lead and pour it in because you mix lead in the stone. Guess what? That ain't gone nowhere. It will not wear away. <laughs> it will be for all time. I want a permanent record that I was right. Because I know my, I'm going to be redeemed. God is going to do it. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. And he's like, when my skin has been destroyed, when I am dead, gone, buried, decayed, nothing but dust, God will finally show up on the earth, we will see him, which there's an idea of the resurrection here, and that I will be vindicated, I will be lifted up. He is confident in his claim of innocence. I have not done anything by the wisdom of our age to deserve what's happening to me. That's, that's pretty bold. I mean, that is really, really bold uh, of, uh, of Job. Because in that age, they had no knowledge of a coming Messiah. Remember, the whole messianic thing starts 
with Abraham. Now, certainly as far as we know, Abraham is not part of this story. That they didn't have any connection that we're aware of. Maybe they didn't. That it's just not recorded. But certainly, Abraham hasn't had all the promises given to him. The whole issue with Isaac hasn't been settled. Um, I mean, there's... There's a lot of that, and there's no record of it as of yet, because Moses doesn't write this stuff until thousands of years later. Perhaps it's God wanting vindication of his proclaiming to the devil that uh, Job was a righteous man. So God himself wanted it written. Oh, sure. Vindicate Job. Sure, but Job wants to be vindicated, too. Yes. <laughs> um... And he is confident. I mean, that takes some. I, that, I mean, that's a lot of confidence. Yeah. It's the confidence that you and I have, knowing that we've been forgiven. You understand that we know Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again, and offers us salvation. And we stand on that fact that we have been vindicated before God and made righteous. Paul tells us that we have been declared righteous before God through the blood of Christ. That's the confidence we see here with Job. I am innocent and God's going to recognize it and I will be vindicated at some time. That's the whole idea. God will affirm my innocence at some point in time. He doesn't know when. He doesn't have a clue. But I will see God for myself sometime after I'm but dust is the idea. God's going to affirm it. After his death, it will be made known. And that's why he wants it recorded in such a manner is so that people will know that he was right, that he was godly, that he was righteous, that he wasn't all these things that his friends... You know how they say the victor... Uh, it's the spoil. Well, writes the history. Oh, writes the history. Oh, yeah. You know, the victors write the history. He's wanting it recorded because he's going to be the victor. His friends, you know, even if I die and I turn to dust, I'm going to be vindicated. Because we, this, again, this is an idea that is way before its time that God's going to win. The idea that he's going to stand upon the earth. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last... He will stand upon the earth. The idea is he is going to be in charge. God is going to come and it's going to be him standing on the earth. And I'm going to see him and I'm going to be proclaimed. You know, this is all reminiscent of who? These ideas. Who fleshes them out for us in the proper doctrine? Book of Romans, the vindication of the believers, the idea that when that he is won already, regardless of what happens to us in this life. Paul tells us over and over and over again, we can submit to the government. We can submit to the authorities. Why? Because God is one. It may not be right this second that we'll be persecuted and all that here. 
But in the end, at the very end, and John fleshes this out big time in Revelation, we see these ideas, but here they are. They're in Job happening. Job is declaring, write this stuff down, make it permanent because, you know, they knew this in that day and age. See, the New Testament really isn't new, is it? The very idea of being of salvation, it's right here. Job's talking about, I know that my Redeemer lives. I mean, we sing that song, right? But it's not based in the New Testament. It's based in the Old Testament. It's based in Job. Before Abraham has shown up on the scene, before God has done all that he did with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the people, here's Job, he already knew. He already believed. This is why Job is included in Hebrews in the book, in the list of those of faith. He's one, I mean, he's, we know that he's one of the faithful. We, we, we just accept that. But we can see right here his claim for his innocence, for his salvation, if you will, is God. That God will save him. That he will be vindicated. That whatever has happened, he's going to make it right. That idea of righteousness that God will give to him. We see it here. This is important to understand um, because there are many who are like, oh, the Old Testament is an angry, evil God that's mad at the world and all that. Yeah, he hates sin. That's what it shows. But here's a guy who didn't sin, is suffering, and knows that God's going to save him, that God is going to vindicate him, that God is going to lift him up, and that there's an afterlife. I mean, you realize he's saying... You know, my flesh is, is going to be gone. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be dust. After that, after I'm dead, I will be restored. Whom, he says, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself with my eyes. If he just, in the previous sentence, he says, my body is but dust. How am I going to see him with my eyes? He's expecting restoration. He's expecting to be resurrected, to be restored bodily. The idea, the very idea of the, you know, the new heavens and new earth. Okay, he doesn't understand any of that. But he knows that there's going to be a resurrection. That he himself will see God for himself with his own eyes after his body is destroyed. That, that's the whole idea that we're getting new bodies. That's amazing that these ancients understood that. And knew that. And then we don't see it showing up again until Paul. Paul takes this and starts writing it. And the apostles begin preaching it in the New Testament. Because Jesus comes and explains how all that goes together. When we talk about how Jesus explained to the disciples. And he spent those days on the earth after his resurrection telling them all things. I think that's what we're seeing. is He's explaining these stories. This stuff that's in the Old Testament scriptures that those people didn't understand because we don't see it uh, being explained. As we read the Talmud and the Mishnah, which are the rabbis' uh, <coughs> commentaries on the Old Testament, they didn't get that from this. They didn't get this. They didn't see it. They didn't grasp it. I think that the disciples got it because Jesus told them. He made it clear the understanding. And we see here, I mean, this, this section... You start cross-referencing it with, with what Paul's writing in Romans and stuff, and it's amazing. It's like, okay, if this is Job before Abraham, sometime after that, 
these people knew God in a way that we were meant to know him. They knew of the stories of their ancestors having connection to God. And that it's been lost. Job in this is laying the foundation that will eventually be fleshed out into full theology and doctrine by Paul some 2,000, 3,000 years later. <laughs> uh, question. I think because Abraham probably heard all these stories, that's why he was a little, wasn't quite so questioning about God <coughs> saying, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Sure. Sure. The, yeah, go ahead, Shane. Yeah, I was just going to say, because if you had no inkling, you'd be going like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, what do you, you know, this is some, I, at least that's how I think I would be. Like, I heard stuff like, maybe that, maybe this is, you know. Yeah. Abraham, I mean, he wasn't really excited about the whole thing, it seems, yeah. but he believed. Yeah. He he had enough back knowledge to leave his family, to move everything he owns, and start following God somewhere. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive because the rest of the world is following idols and all that, but they still knew of God, but God hadn't been involved in the world in a while. And you know how it is. People begin to forget. Yeah, absence makes the heart grow fond. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, I think that's what we see, but here's, this is Job. Job has got faith. Job believes. He doesn't understand what he believes, but he knows that this is, gonna, this is what God's going to do. One thing came to me is that Job wanted to be uh, vindic vind vindicated. vindicated. And the Bible says, if you delight yourself in me, I will give you the desires of my heart. So in yeah. fact, God was giving Job the desires of his heart to be vindicated. Yeah, and, and look, here we are. I mean, this is 2021. I don't know how many thousands of years ago Job lived. It was written in stone with an iron pen and filled in with lead, wasn't it? It is in these scriptures that will never pass away, we're told. Mm -hmm. uh, they're part of our faith. And it's a faith that allows us to have faith. I mean, you realize you have faith in God because of men like Job. Is that amazing or what? All right. Let's finish him off. Job chapter 19, 28 through 29. If you say, how, will, how we will pursue him, and the root of the matter is found in him, be afraid of the sword. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword, that you may know there is a judgment. Okay, this is a, a short, interesting passage. If you say how, we will pursue him. Who are we referring to? And a lot of pronouns here. Yeah. Who is he talking about? Or who is he talking to? How they'll pursue God? Uh, no. I'm thinking Satan. No, Job doesn't know who Satan is. Okay. That's but really, they don't know. 
it's been, there's no indication that they have any idea of that whole thing. <laughs> but Job knows wrath will bring the judgment, and he's warning his friends. Okay, let's start with an easier question. Who's going to bring the judgment? God, yeah. So he's talking about God. Remember, this is this follows the previous section we were looking at. That, that God, uh, he starts out with, My flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, my eyes, and all that. My heart faints within me. If you say, how will we pursue him? Who are you pursuing? God. 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 And then he goes on, the root of the matter is found in him. The root of the matter is found in God. God. What's the root of the matter then? What happened to Job? Well, well in this, what is sin? No. Nope. needs punishment. The root of the matter is God's in control. Yeah. God I know my Redeemer lives. That's the root of the matter. Okay. This is my faith. I know this is true, and it's the root of the matter. And if you pursue him, so now, who is he issuing this? Now, this is what. Let me flip this over. This is what he's doing. He's issuing a warning. The root of the matter is found in him. Be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment. This is a warning. Job is warning who? His friends. His friends. Yeah. yeah. They are the ones that are attacking him. And Job says, knock it off. I will be vindicated by God because he is the root of the matter. The matter is that he lives. It has nothing to do with me. I'll be vindicated. And if you keep pursuing it, judgment is coming. His friends will face God's judgment too. They keep saying that Job is being judged by God. Because of his predicament, Job keeps saying, "I am not. I am, I'm sinless. I haven't done anything wrong to deserve this punishment." And there, this is the second discourse. They're, they they've now begun attacking him, as we we looked at earlier. They're attacking him, saying, "No, you're just lying. You know how wicked people get. God doesn't prosper wicked people, and all of this." And 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 they go on and on and on. And he's like, "Guys." Knock it off. It's between me and God, not you and me. Because if it is something I've done, then God will deal with it. Don't worry about it. Because you're under judgment too. You're not God. The idea here is that the standard they're using on Job is going to be used on them. God is going to judge you like you're judging me. You need to be worried about yourself. Quit worrying about me. If I'm wrong, God will deal with it. If I'm right, he'll vindicate me. Again, this is fully fleshed out in, in, for us by Paul in Romans, um, Jesus himself in the Gospels, as we saw in Luke um, in this past series. He's issuing a warning. Don't judge me. Just come and be my friends. I think all, time, all, all too often... We rush to judgment over people based on what's happening in their lives <coughs> rather than being Christ-like 
and being their friends and lifting them up and being loving. We, we, we rush to judge them and, and, and all that. And it's usually not as bold and brass as these guys are. These guys are right there. Job's sitting in a pile of ash, scraping off his boils, and they are just digging at him. We, we tend to do it behind their backs, <laughs> don't we? We're, we're a lot more nice nowadays, right? We, we, we do it in the corners, in the lobby in church. Did you see what happened? Did you hear? There's got to be something. God let's been, pray for them. Yeah, let's pray for them. <laughs> we, we, yeah, we're a lot more kind about it, but we're not really kind, are we? That's what's transpired. Job is like, quit it. God will deal with it. If there's a problem in my life, it's not about you. It's about me and God, and he'll take care of that. I need you to be my friends. And see, that, and we, then we jump forward to Jesus, and he tells us to be like him. And we see how he deals with sinful people, don't we? We just spent, <coughs> I don't know how many months in Luke. And their biggest accusation by the Pharisees is... He hangs around with sinners. He hangs around with sinners. How dare you, Jesus, hang around with sinful people? These guys, Job, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Just admit it and die and, and yeah. take the book. Jesus shows us how we're supposed to treat them. He, he loved them. He shows up. He eats meals with them. You can't eat with them. They're sinners. How can you eat with them? It'll make you unclean. Jesus is like, this doesn't make me unclean. What are you talking about? This is just being kind to Zacchaeus, to Matthew. They're tax collectors. Not only are they sinful because they're tax collectors, not only are they ceremonially unclean because they're tax collectors, they're not even being good Jews. They're not being pro-Jew. They're, they're pro-Roman. How can you eat with them? Jesus is like, I'm having dinner with you. Go get it ready. Because sin being, just because you're sin, we see it when they catch and they catch the woman in the act of adultery. Just like, hand, gives her a hand up. Go and sin no more. You're, you're forgiven. What? There's she sinful. Where's the assault? Like these guys, right? Shouldn't he be at least battering as battering as Bildad and Eliphaz and Zophar? Right? Do we see that? Do we ever see? The only people we ever see Jesus attack in that manner is who? The Pharisees. The Sadducees, the religious elite who claim that they are as righteous as they could possibly be. They're the only ones that we see the attack on. It's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than you on Judgment Day. But we're the righteous. They were homosexual sinners. What are you talking about, Jesus? Yeah, y'all lie, your feet stink. You don't even want to believe it, right? We don't see the attack. These people who are having the worst time, Jesus just shows up and loves on them. And he tells us to be like him, which means we don't get the chance to beat up on these people and pick their lives apart and try and figure out what it is that they did that God is punishing and judging. It's not for us to judge. That's what Job is telling him. Quit judging me. Just be my friends or go home. And let me and God work it out. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll sort it out because I don't know of anything. He hasn't shown me anything. He hasn't showed up and told me anything. I think all too often we'd rather be the judge than be the compassion to be the love. Because that's easier. Because it makes us feel good about ourselves. 
I'm not like them, right? I'm not the one sitting there in pottery. I must be righteous. I must be good. I must be whatever. And we lift ourselves up at the expense of them rather than coming alongside them and helping them through whatever the troubling time is. How's that? Wow, the New Testament just is such a commentary on this story, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I, I love the story, and, and we, we see the whole thing, and, and then we get to the end, and we get to root for Job because God does vindicate him and restores him, but that doesn't always happen to everybody. And, the, and that's not the point of the story, is, is that God restores everything to him and all that. The point is, is that we need to not be like his friends. See, that's, that's where the story is, is that we are more often like his friends to other people that are going through hard times. And we need to not be. We need to be more like Jesus to, his, to, the, to, our, to people that are going through it rather than like Job's friends. Comment, question. In Psalm 31, <clears throat> it talks about um, th uh, verse um, 12 says, Because of all my adversaries, I am the contempt of my neighbors and a dread to my acquaintances. Seeing me on the street, they flee from me. And then it goes on verse 15, it says, But I have trusted in you, Adonai. I said, You are my God. My times are in your hands. Yeah. <laughs> that may have been written by Job. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what's going on here. Exactly what's going on. It's funny. I'm, I was going through something personally and just talking about friends, like somebody I've known since 18, and they're like, oh, I really care. You know, I'm here for you. And it's like, okay, you're here for me, but I, um, okay, can you talk? No, I'm busy right now. Um, and I, I was getting that, and I'm thinking, okay, and you claim to be my really good friend, you know? So it's yeah. kind of like... Sometimes you see, well, it's convenience, you know. I'll be there to help you, but I have a few things I need to do. And it's like, well, I'm glad I know where my help is, Yeah. you know. Yeah. So it just sometimes brings things to light. It does. Disaster does that. At, at times over the years and some teachings, uh, I'm not sure if Joe's buddies uh, used the term you don't have enough faith and you know you get that from people you want through something and well you don't have enough faith all right well how much faith do I need and uh, yeah. God gives us a measure of faith wherever we're doing you know so well and faith faith doesn't make yeah. everything better yeah what it does is it gives you the strength to stand yes. through it. God doesn't... Yes. We, we've got this idea, and it, it's... I, Chris and I have talked about this on numerous occasions. We live in an age where how I feel about stuff is more important than the truth about stuff. And so the idea that God is loving means that He's not going to... A loving God wouldn't make me go through painful... Uh, mm -hmm. depressing things and all the, the idea that, that, that I'm going to get it's because we want God on our terms and that's something that Job does teach us we don't get God on our terms that you know it, it's not a, a, a gumball machine that we put in our money and we turn it and we get good things out of it 
God has got other stuff going on that we're completely unaware of, and we're part of it, and it's we, we just have to have faith in Him that it's right for whatever reason that He is God. The problem is, is that we want to be God, and we want God on our terms, and thus the idea that nothing bad happens to me because that will make me feel bad and so a loving God won't do that to me and so and people watching on are like well you must be doing something wrong because God's uh, making you feel bad <coughs> and all that and we, and we become uh, what do they call it it's um, oh, I just read the article this week they, they, the new Christian worldview is um, oh I cannot think of it it's totally eluding me the idea is, is that, that we are emotionally um, loved um, at pretty much any cost. I can't remember. It has nothing to do with God. And that's become the Christian worldview is, is that it's all about me and how I feel about things. And God is going to feel about the things the way I feel about them. That we're, we're, We've got that link. And I'll do anything to make it go that way. Um, I have to. I have to look at it again. It kind of sounds like they're putting themselves equal to oh, God, it is. and he's on his side. You yes, know, we yes. are God, and he agrees with us. Well, it's like okay. So one of my biggest pet peeves is people with uh, the the slogan "God's my co-pilot" or "Jesus is my co-pilot." That annoys me. Yeah, God's not my co-pilot. He's the pilot. Right. Yeah. I, I'm nobody. I'm like in third class baggage somewhere. <laughs> I'm not in the cockpit. I have no idea where this plane's going. I have no control. I'm so far in the back that I don't know that we've landed 10 minutes after we landed because the tail's still hanging out. You know? <laughs> that, that, these, these people are like, oh yeah, Jesus is my co-pilot. We're, we're cruising down the highway of life. You know? So you're driving, and he's just the co-pilot. Yeah. So he plays second fiddle to you. Man, I don't even play third fiddle to him. Like yeah. I said, I'm baggage, man. I just along <laughs> for the ride. That is the way we that we are should be living our lives. But we've got this idea, particularly in America, that well, me and me, and, we're just buds. You know, we're we're side by side, and we share and do everything together, and we we. We talk it out and come to an agreement. There's no agreement. God's God. He tells us the way it's going to be. And we go. It's a roller coaster. Either we agree or that's... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's... I, mean, I think we see that here with Job. He doesn't know what's going on. But he believes. He's going to hang on because he knows that God... And that's the thing. Uh, you know, faith... Faith isn't blind. You know, a lot of the world says that we, we just have this high in the sky. No, we don't. We know things. And those that knowledge is what gives us the faith to believe, to stand. No, I wasn't there when he was resurrected. There were other people that were there. I believe them. And I trust them because they things that they did say, things that they said that came true, the things that happened. It allows that that I know for a fact that it did. I can't prove the fact. Because I wasn't there, but I know the fact. When we were in the Lutheran church, we had a guest speaker come in, and he was a younger guy. And his whole thing was, you can make God to be whatever you feel most comfortable with. 
<laughs> I'll tell you, I almost flew out of my seat. I was freaking out. Steve kept going, calm down, calm down. I mean, I was freaking out to the point where he said, well, say you, you grew up in a household and your dad wasn't a good dad. He wasn't kind, maybe abusive, whatever. So you don't want God to be your father. You can call, you know, God can be your mother. Oh. Uh, I, I mean, total freak out. I was, man. We made God in our own image. It, it, it's like, I don't know if you're familiar with the story. It's from the book of Judges where the, a woman loses a sum of money because her son took it and then he returns it. And she tells him, take half the money and go down and have it fashioned into an idol. And then she makes him the household priest. And they bow and they worship this thing. It's like, wow. And then there's the, 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 another story that the guy goes out and cuts a, down a tree and takes half the wood and makes dinner. And the other half he carves into an idol and covers it in silver. It's, we fashion idols in our own image. It's no wonder when look at any of the pagan religions of the ancient world. The gods acted just like people do. I mean, the Greek Parthenon, who's sleeping with who behind whose back? <laughs> There's great soap operas. It's the same thing in the, in the Hindi uh, Parthenon. They, they all do it. All these Parthenons of all these gods, and they, they actually human beings. They just have more power and more authority. But they're no better than us. We make gods in our own image. And then we expect them to act like us and be like them, but God isn't. That's what Job is warning us about. People need compassion when enduring hardships. That's true. I don't care what the hardship is financial, loss of a loved one, sickness, um, whatever. Um, people need compassion. They don't need us to come along and tell them what they've done wrong. Maybe they did do something wrong. It's possible. Uh, and that they're the root of their own problem. But they need people to show compassion to them. Until they feel loved, they're not going to listen. Even if you're right, you've got to earn your hearing. It's one of the things that annoys me about um, some of these groups out there that are into confrontational evangelism. Just rolling up on somebody and telling them they're a dirty, rotten sinner and, and, and <laughs> confronting them about whatever they're saying. They, they do it. They, they love to go to these rallies for LGBTQ or whatever. And they just start confronting them and they think that that is going to win them to Christ. <laughs> it's not. You want to win them to Christ, become their friend. Be there when the times are hard. Be there when there's hardship, and then they're going to listen to you. At that point, they're going to start asking questions. Well, why, why are you still with me? All my other friends left me because Jesus said we love one another. Yeah, all my friends that are the same as me have left me. Yeah. And you, I know you don't agree with this. Why are you still here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a few friends like that. Oh, yeah. And, and that's what we need. But that's what people need from us. God is their judge. We don't have to judge them. We don't have to agree with them. We don't have to like what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But sometimes they just need us to have Jesus skin on and be him so that we can tell them about it. And it adds the weight to it. Secondly, 
We have confidence in God's redemption. My Redeemer lives, Job says, before they knew that a Messiah was even coming. He knew his Redeemer lived. He would be redeemed. He didn't know how. He didn't have all the theology that we have, all the history that we can look back at in our Bibles to stand upon, but he knew it. And it was confidence he stood in, writing in stone, filling in with lead for all time. My Redeemer lives, and he will redeem me. Lastly, warnings of God's judgment should be given lovingly. Yes, people are going to be judged, and they need to know it. But there are good ways to deliver that, and there are bad ways. Job's friends were not being very loving. They were very badgering to him over the whole thing. And I think sometimes we get caught up in that message rather than showing the compassion that people need. We need to be compassionate first and then lovingly deliver whatever, you know, judgment that God has proclaimed or whatever it is that they may have done. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the example of Job and for his words. And Lord, that you made your, your will clear to them that he knew you would redeem him. And Lord, you've redeemed all of us. We know what redemption is now. Poor Job in that day, sitting in that pile of ash, knew there would be redemption, but had no idea what it would cost or what it would take. And Jesus has come, and we have seen it. We know it. Lord, help us to live as Job, knowing that you've redeemed us. Lord, let us be as bold as Job is with his friends, Father, help us to have compassion on those who are struggling and that are going through tough times, either of their own making or possibly of your making, for whatever reason. Give us the strength. In Jesus' name, amen.